You're listening to the Sagas and Sass podcast. This episode features audio from a previously aired live video webcast. Welcome to Sagas and Sass Season 2. I'm Tara, along with fellow hosts Nick, Jonathan, and Nami. This episode will cover the fifth season, book one of N.K. Jemisin's Hugo Award-winning Broken Earth Trilogy. If you're watching live, join us in the chat, or after the fact, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, at Sagas and Sass, to continue. And just as a reminder, the views expressed in this show are those of the host as individuals and you do not necessarily represent the show as a whole. Uh, and before we dive into our summary, please note the following trigger warnings for the fifth season. Physical and emotional abuse of children, discrimination, implied genocide, forced sexual relations, off-page execution of children, forced captivity, bullying, and mentions of interspecies cannibalism. Lots of, there were a lot of them for this one. So I wanted to make sure we uh, covered that there's some pretty dark stuff in this book. (laughs) It's a new saga, y'all. This time we're reading The Fifth Season by N.K. Jemsen, the first book in the Broken Earth trilogy. It's definitely a different feel from anything else we've read, and it's pretty fucking intense. Let's get into it, and please stick with us here, because there's seriously a lot to summarize. In a world called The Stillness, planet-wide apocalyptic events are totally normal. Cataclysms called seasons occur every few centuries, each one effectively changing or at times even wiping out large portions of human life in the stillness. NBD. Every fifth season is especially terrible, lasting decades, and a new one is starting. The difference is that this time, an overgate gene caused it on purpose. Overgenes are humans with a special ability to control geological features, which sounds pretty badass, and it is, but regular humans, also known as stills, are terrified of them. So they've enslaved the Overgenes, an organization called the Fulcrum trains them and keeps them in check using guardians, humans trained and even modified uh, specifically to take down Overgenes. The story follows three origin women, a child named Demaya, a young woman named named Senite, and an older woman named Essen. They each face racism and hardships because of their abilities. We meet Essen first when she discovers that her husband has murdered her son and kidnapped their daughter. Her husband didn't know that Essen was an origin. She had been hiding her powers and had taught both her children to hide theirs as well. But apparently her son, Uche, I don't know the pronunciation, but uh, let his slip and his father killed him in return. Thanks, I hate it. When Essen feels the cataclysmic earthquake approaching her village, Trimio, she reflexively redirects it around her community, revealing to everyone in the village that someone is an origin. Next up is Demea, who is locked in her parents' barn so she can't escape. She thinks she is going to be sold as a slave because she revealed her powers accidentally when a boy who supposedly liked her pushed her to the ground and started threatening her. But we know that even in fiction, boys need to be held accountable for their actions, and she was able to control herself enough so that she just gave him a good scare. Anyway, it turns out that the man that comes isn't technically a slaver. He's a guardian named Shafa. He says he will take her to the stillness capital, Yemenis, to serve the government as a member of the fulcrum. She doesn't know this yet, but it's definitely just a different form of slavery. Meanwhile, Easton has been mourning her son for days. She hasn't moved and has just disassociated a bunch, not allowing herself to think about anything. Meanwhile, Tarimo has been in lockdown because of her quelling the earthquake. There is a cloud of sulfur in the air, and everyone knows a new season is coming. A friend, Lerna, the local doctor, comes to her house and tells her that her husband has left town with their daughter, Nasan. 
It's not clear where he's gone, but this gives Essen a reason to live, to save her daughter and kill her husband. Lerna also relieves that, wow, relieves, reveals that he knew Essen was secretly in origin, but didn't say anything. Essen heads out of town, and with the help of the village leader, she almost makes it out of the gate before someone tries to shoot her. By now, the entire village knows, or at least suspects, that she's in origin. She reacts reflexively and with rage, her power breaking the underground aquifer, destroying buildings, and killing anyone close to her. Even though she didn't kill, will die soon, though. With the aquifer broken, they will lose their water supply. At another unspecified time in history, Cyanite is a highly skilled fulcrum origin who is expected to conceive an origin child with Alabaster, who is one of, if not the, most powerful origin in the world. Because of her role in the fulcrum, she has no choice in the matter. She's just supposed to fuck this rando and hopefully have a powerful baby with him. Alabaster is rude, but also clearly does not want to have sex with her either. Technically, he's allowed to refuse because he's a ten ringer, which is the highest rank attainable by an origin and literally marked with fancy rings. But they realize that doing so would just put Cyanite in a worse spot, so they grin and bear it. Or grin and bone it? Either way, they have a lot of deeply unsexy sex. They are sent on a mission to a coastal town called Alia to clear some coral from the harbor there. The mission is really just an excuse for them to procreate, but it will turn out to be much more important than that, as we'll learn later. Ethan journeys south and encounters a boy named Hoa. His skin is albino white, his face and body are strangely proportioned, and he doesn't seem to understand anything about society. It becomes clear that Hoa is not an origin, but that he's not a normal human either. He can somehow sense Nasan's movement as she is traveling. Because of this ability, and because she does feel somewhat motherly towards him, she allows Hoa to journey with her despite her initial misgivings. Back with Demaya on the Rio to Yemenis, we get more trauma and insight into how poorly the origins are treated. Shafa breaks her hand in order, in order to teach her control. He tells her that she must learn to restrain her impulses and not use her power when she experiences pain, pressure, or hatred. He says he loves her, but that she has no human rights and must never say no to him because Origines cannot resist their guardians in any way. Demaya is conflicted because she loves her new guardian, but is traumatized by him intentionally causing her excruciating pain. The gaslighting is next level and super fucked. Uh, Cyanite and Alabaster continue their journey to Alia until they encounter a sudden massive erupting volcano. They're able to stop it because Alabaster somehow takes control of Cyanite's power. He shouldn't be able to do that, but he does. It understandably feels like a violation to her and her resentment of him grows. Alabaster insists that they visit the nearest node outpost because the node maintaining... Uh, I'm going to try to pronounce this, orogeny. I think it's orogeny. Responsible for calming shakes, must have gone wild and intentionally tried to murder the entire region. When they arrive, Sinai is shocked to find that the deceased node maintainer at the outpost was not a lazy, bored adult worker, but a victimized orogeny child in a coma, his shriveled body kept alive by machines. Alabaster tells her that orogeny children who don't learn control are confined in this way, kept suspended in a room, lobotomized and fed by tubes, only alive enough to calm the earthquakes of the region instinctively. Sinai also notices the dead child's shocking physical resemblance to Alabaster and recalls that he's produced 12 children with other women already. Alabaster won't say if the child is his, but from his distress, Cyanite guesses the truth. This society is seriously fucked up. 
Demea becomes a star pupil at the fulcrum, but along with the other orogeny trainees, she's not treated like a child or even like a soldier, but like a weapon being polished for battle. She manages to overcome systemic bullying from other children and the system she's been forced into and should be able to test for her first ring soon. Then one day she meets a non-orogeny girl named Binoff who asks for her help in finding a secret underground chamber beneath the fulcrum's main building. The two girls eventually find the underground chamber, which contains a massive six-sided hole that is unfathomably deep and covered in sharp shards. The girls are discovered, but the guardian who finds them seems to be taken over by something and is brutally killed by Shafa. Demea has no idea what happens to Benoff, but apparently their trespass was so severe that Demea is told she must face her, face her first orogeny ring test immediately or Shafa will have to kill her. She passes the test and chooses her orogeny name, Cyanite. What? Demea and Cyanite have been the same person all along? What about Essen? Well... Essen and Hoa meet Tonki, a calmless geomest or scientist full of boundless curiosity. Eventually, the three travelers arrive at Kastrima, a place where Hoa loses Nassen's trail because he says there are lots of orogenies in this place and their signals muddy each other. Kastrima is an underground comms carved out of a geode, and their leader, Ika... I don't know how to pronounce that, sorry. It's a charismatic orogeny woman living openly despite not being a fulcrum orogeny. There are air purifying mechanisms in the cave that are run by orogeny... Uh, these words are too similar. <laughs> Proving that a previous civilization highly valued their orogenies. Essen is in awe of all the technology, but now fears that she will never find her daughter. Cyanite and Alabaster arrive in Alia, and Cyanite resurrects a giant six-sided crystal obelisk out of the ocean when she attempts to clear the coral from the harbor. This action attracts a guardian who attacks and tries to kill them both, and Cyanite accidentally sets off the dormant volcano in Alia in the process. But even though Alia is destroyed, she and Alabaster are saved by Alabaster's friend Antimony, who is a non-human creature called a Stone Eater. As a note, the Stone Eater's origins and powers are unknown, and it seems they'll remain that way, at least for now, because Antimony leaves the two of them on an island run by friendly pirates who actually like Orogenes. There, Cyanide and Alabaster form a polyamorous relationship with Enon, the pirate leader, and a feral Orogeny himself. Cyanide has Alabaster's baby, and they have two peaceful years on the island. She loves her son, Koru, but she's bored of the quiet island life and begs Enon to let her join a pirate voyage with him. Enon reluctantly agrees to let her come along, but Alabaster is angry and afraid that she'll leave him permanently if she ever ventures away. Cyanite promises to come back and goes on the voyage. Thanks to her, they stage a successful raid on some merchant ships, and afterwards she asks to go back to Alia, where she seals shut the open magma chamber that destroyed the calm and has continued to erupt since. As the pirate ship leaves, Cyanite thinks she sees a lone guardian on land watching her. And then the final reveal. Essen is Cyanite slash Demaya. She also discovers that Tonki is Beanoff, the girl she met as a child. She's been following Isun for almost 30 years. We also find out that Tonki discovered that the six-sided hole in the ground under the fulcrum is where the obelisks that float in the sky all over the place come from, and that she hopes that Isun can command the obelisks. Their apparently nonsensical movements are actually the obelisks slowly moving in the direction of powerful orogenies. Orogenies. <laughs> I'm doing it too now. Uh, who can command them, and they have been following Isun. Meanwhile, Hoa is revealed to be a stone eater, eats crystals, which also seem to be his own essence or, or something, enabling his, his current body to function. 
Hoa says he likes Isun, but he does, it doesn't explain why he's accompanying her. There are other stone eaters in Kastrima, but Hoa distrusts them. How did Cyanite become Isun in the first place? It turns out that four ships full of guardians, Rajni and humans, showed up at the island to retrieve Cyanite and Alabaster. She and Alabaster took out two of them, but Antimony shows up and drags Alabaster to safety in the ground and apparently against his will. The last thing he does is ask Cyanite to promise that she won't let the Guardians take Koru. Cyanite makes it to the pirate ship where Enon and Koru are to, to help are to help fight the remaining ships. Unfortunately, they are overtaken and a Guardian kills Enon. Then her Guardian, Shafa, arrives and threatens her and she's finally had a Cyanite picks up Koru, connects her mental energy to a nearby amethyst obelisk, which she knows will amplify her fighting power, and, she hopes, kill her in the process. She smothers her son so he can't be captured or, and suffer, and unleashes a massive flood of power to try to kill the Guardians. We learn that Hoa finds her floating in the ocean after the explosion and rescues her, although she is not conscious of it. In Kastrima, Asun is told that an old friend wants to The old friend is Alabaster the same man who a few weeks prior caused the earthquake that will likely end all life on earth. He has somehow become or is becoming a stone eater. It's not entirely clear, but between that and the energy that it took to cause the earthquake, he is definitely dying. He asks Isun to break the world further and then asks her if she's ever heard of a moon. What the fuck? Before he can clarify his meaning, the novel ends. But like, no, seriously, what the fuck? So you guys understand now why I was screaming when I finished the first yeah. book in this chat and then immediately got the second book. Like mm -hmm. I should have purchased the second book because I could not like like leave it. Also, thank you, Nick, for that incredibly like thorough summary because unlike everybody else here, I have finished the entire series and I also binge read all of these in the first half of May. So I was very much like, do not spoil, do not spoil. Oh shit, what happened? I also <laughs> feel, yeah, it, that's what I was saying. Like, I, I was like, I when I saw that Nick had written the summary, and I'm looking at like, oh my god, this is so long. But like, I went through it, and I was like, really, like, there because, and I think part of it, the big part of it, is because there are three entirely separate storylines yeah. going on, so you can't. It, it's not like a book, like it's not like even the Grishaverse books, you know, the, the Six of Crows mm -hmm. books and, and um, the Nikolai duology where, yeah, there's numerous um, uh, points of view, but they're all in the same story. Like, uh, I mean, mm -hmm. or, or for the most part, like minus like, like you've got Nina in her story and then you've got the others all kind of doing the same thing on their end mm -hmm. uh, or whatever, like in the Nikolai duology. But yeah, it was, it was, it was hard to like think there, there's really nothing you can cut out when giving a summary of this particular book. Um, I, think I, I don't know. Two, if the... the other two are going to be much better in regards to that. I think they are much easily summarizable, but I wouldn't say they are slow or like paced differently or have a different vibe than this first book. But I just think that in order to do the um, Demaya is Cyanite is Eason reveal that yeah. I'll be in one. Also, a couple things I wanted to throw out before I ask like my first question. Um, one thing, um, orogeny is the pronunciation of like the power that okay. people use, and then orogene is the pronunciation of the people with the power to use orogeny. Um, I See, this is what I get for not listening to audiobooks and looking it up on the internet because like the 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 only thing I could find was like from Reddit where people were like saying that. The or the orogeny, like orogeny, 
the person was was yeah the audiobook does it and i'm yeah. going with the audiobook yeah no 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 i agree i agree <laughs> I, do, I do have a very specific like dislike of audiobook pronunciations because i recently read an audiobook that took place in france and was read by a french author that featured an indian character and thus all the indian words were pronounced wrong and i wanted to oh. literally like astral project i couldn't listen yeah. to the audiobook for that book i like i literally couldn't do it but actually i read the third book by audiobook because it was like a crazy day at work and i was like but i want to read it now and it was just already free of my library so i was like let's go but okay so i am curious because this book, the idea of this story gave me a lot of anxiety going into it. So I had to like kind of spoil a lot of things for myself for the first book in order to be able to read oh, it no. without like jumping out of my pants. But I will say that that did not spoil my enjoyment of the book. But the one thing is that I did go into the story knowing that Demaya is Cyanite is Eason. And I was wondering what all of your reader experiences were like not knowing that because since I knew I was reading it and I was like, Oh, I see it. Oh, I see it. Like just that constantly. And I'm curious how you guys like experienced the story without that knowledge. I, I spent the, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> no, you. Okay. <laughs> I, I found the, I, I struggled with the first third of the book. Um, I really didn't, like the second person narr narration. I found it off-putting. Um, and I oh, was- definitely that's definitely a personal preference for sure. Yeah. Um, and having said that, I, I, I felt the whole, at least maybe even half the book, I was like, are these different timelines? I didn't actually think they were different people, but I thought it was, I, I did pick up the divide that they were on different timelines. Yeah. Um, but that wasn't even a hundred percent clear. But I sort of said, I, this could be different timelines. Is what I think of myself. Um, by the time they made the jump that Demaya was a uh, senite, yeah, senite. Um, then it dawned on me, okay, then it's also probable that cyanide is essen. Um, but that that hit me just when that the first reveal happened, and then it was confirmed later. So. Um, Overall, I thought it was reasonable, but I, as I said, I still find the second person narration very off-putting. I, I hated it for a different reason, but I also loved it for that same reason. Like, I found it uncomfortable and off-putting because it f puts, like, the reader so squarely into her grief. And that was, like... That was hard. Yeah, that was the reason that I had to spoil this book for myself. Because, like, even just reading the back of the book, I was like, I just need to know if her other daughter's going to be okay. So I know, like, if her other kid's going to be okay. So, like, I know what to expect. So I, like, spoiled the entire series for myself. And I'm like, all right. Cool. Oh, wow. Yeah, no, no. Straight up spoiled the whole series for myself. Like, and in truth, I don't care about spoilers. So it worked out for me. Like, for me... Figuring out spoilers is to is a way to alleviate my anxiety about books mm -hmm. about stressing topics like this because mourning and grief is just incredibly difficult to deal with and to read about and especially to read about in such a personal POV as a UPOV and like as awkward as I find it to read the UPOV I will probably never pick up a book that does it voluntarily I understand the decision and I like it a lot and there's more that 
there's more reasons to it beyond just feeling her grief and you will all mm-hmm. find out soon. And I'm so excited for that reveal, honestly. <sighs> There's a purpose, Jonathan, I promise. No, I, I, I'm sure there is. It's just like, as I read it, though, and they kept saying, I feel this way. It's like, but I'm not feeling this way right now. I'm <laughs> feeling confused. I'm feeling, you know, I just... Jonathan's just enjoying it. Uh, I will say for me, the the uh, that second person narrative, um, I actually really liked it, uh, but... I don't know if that's just because for me personally, I was reading it as somebody who has not obviously not dealt with the death of a child, but dealt with that sort of grief that causes mm-hmm. you to disassociate. Yep. And um, <laughs> sorry, my cat was just about to walk right across my keyboard, like of course. Cat, but. <laughs> um, but you know, so, so it what it, to be honest, it was like it made me like Essen as a character more. Mm-hmm. Until she did some of the things she did, and then I was like, mm, oh, I don't want to identify with you right now. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, like, I, 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 and I put this, like, I put this in my notes, like, I, uh, I, I figured out fairly quickly, like, basically, when Demea got to the fulcrum and was like the prize pupil, I was like, ah, okay, she's definitely cyanide. This is the same person. And like you said, Jonathan, but then it's like, okay, well, if they're the same person, then Essen probably is too. But I still was like, nah, maybe not because like, how could there really only be one character that's like the main character? And also, it's just because I'm not used to that anymore, really, I mm-hmm. guess. And and then on top of that, like <laughs> welcome uh, to all books. <laughs> yeah. And and then on top of that, it was it was kind of like Essen is such a different person in a different place in her life. Like how much, you know, she has children that are, you know, Nessen is what, 10 or something like that? Eight. I, I can't remember exactly how old she is. Uh no, no, no. Essen's kids, like her kids are like older. Oh. Stuff. I'm like, how much time has really passed? Essen's kids are super young. Uh, uh, I want to say Uche was like two No, Uche is four, Demaya is ten. You mean Na- Nassin. 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 Yeah. Nassin. I she, she's a little older. She's like eight or ten, I thought. But yeah. but regardless, like I I you know, so I was like, they, she's probably the same person. This is very probable, but also like how? So I thought maybe there was a chance she still wasn't until until Cyanite um saw that guard, like until she stopped the volcano and saw the guardian. Then I was like, oh, she's fucked. And there, that's like, that's, she definitely, whatever happens is bad and there's going to be more bad. And then she becomes a different person essentially. So uh, poor Nick, he, Nick, Nick and John spoke up at the same time. And now Nick, Nick, you get to go last. <laughs> that's okay. Most, in, most important, most important, exactly. last, but literally not I'll pull least. Up, I'll pull up the rear. Uh, yeah, it was, I love her writing style uh, because it became evident pretty early on that we were dealing with three different timelines. Uh, and, you know, one of the, the the clear signifiers was that Yumina's was destroyed. Yeah. But we're also hearing about uh, Yumina's as a current place for Cyanite and for Demaya. So we know that there's different timelines going on. Um, I'm not sure. I was thinking about this earlier. I'm not sure when it was that I realized that they were the, the same people. Like, I think Tara said, uh, I definitely realized that Cyanite and Demaya were the same person first. And it was also, it was little things. So I, I'm not sure what that moment was when I was like, 
they're totally the same person. But then I, but I do distinctly remember when we got to that reveal being like, yes, I was right. <laughs> uh, and I, I just, I really loved the way that we kind of got three separate main characters who were the same character. Mm -hmm. I felt like that was really well written on NK's part. Like, wow. It was like really compelling because like you really did see like how the character changed, but how they were still mm -hmm. like that same person the whole time. And I think yep. that was like the POV that I really got like reading it with that foreknowledge, which was really exciting. Also, mm -hmm. I was confused about timelines and like possibly not sure if Demaya and Cyanite were happening concurrently or not. And I can understand like why Jonathan got that confusion because like they both are like actively doing things in Eumenes and like you know for sure that Essen is later, but like those two, it's like, uh, could they be about to like hang out or something? And I think it makes a lot of sense to like connect Dianite. Dianite. Okay, cool. That's their name. <laughs> <laughs> it makes a lot of sense. In That's my their opinion. ship name. <laughs> That's their <laughs> ship. Never ship yourself with yourself. It's called self-love. <laughs> Listen, if you haven't shipped yourself with yourself, then you're doing something wrong. Yeah. But I feel like um, Demaya and Cyanite were like, are like very logical to put together in a sense because like they're still very young like mm -hmm. so Demaya is like 12 right and then Cyanite is like I put her like early to mid 20s and then Nasen is in her 40s so she is like very far removed from the other two like age difference wise so like Essen has like 20 years on cyanide mm -hmm. cyanide only yeah. has like you know another 10 years on um wow on demaya and they're like in the same place doing some like learning about similar things in a sense so like yeah that makes a lot of sense to me that you guys connected that part first i do have oh my god uh wanted to talk about shafa uh that dude, <gasps> that dude creeps me the fuck out all the guardians, the, all, all, yeah, and the guardians in general, yeah, just all of the that way that they describe them as like always smiling is so fucking creepy. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah Especially yeah. because of the like oh. super gaslighting and like physical abuse and all of that, and to be smiling through all of that is just like bleh. well, and especially because so often. Um, including like, I mean, we see this with Demea and we've got to assume that this happens pretty often. They are, um, they are like saving these children. You know what I yeah. mean? You yeah, know, yeah. from, from terrible, you know, fates and, and or, or whatever. And, and so they're, they're saving and them, them a, and leading them to a potentially worse fate. Well, right. But the children don't know that all they know is that someone is taking them away from this place that like in Demea's, you know, instance, like she doesn't realize at first, like she's been, you know, she, she showed her powers and she's been shoved into a barn and, and basically like abused. And, and yes, part of it is because her parents are trying to protect her, but she doesn't know that she thinks that they're just awful, you know? Yeah. And, and I mean, in a way they are, but um, you know, so, so she's saved from this situation that has turned so bad for her. And she thinks at first this man is kind and he's going to take her somewhere safe. And then it turns out that he's just threatening her and physically harming her. And yeah, like, wow, wow. Yeah. It, it's, it's a really, 
Oh, it's a really uh, like, like scary picture of like abusive relationships, honestly. Yeah, and like I think the thing that came like as the biggest shock to me was that I didn't like logically I knew that in order for them to fight origins and like keep them under control that they would have to have some sort of like ability or power, and so like sort of like that slow realization when you get to Cyanite's story, like the end of her story where she like initially like uncovers that obelisk in the sea and then she fights that initial guardian and you realize that they can just like remove origin orogeny from a space and like mm -hmm. whole terrifying thing and then the part in the boat where he like where that other guardian literally explodes a man mm -hmm. because alabaster is like yeah they can turn like your own orogeny into yourself and it was just like viscerally horrifying and just really, really terrifying. And it just made me incredibly like for one, ugh, but two, also like very curious. Like, where did they come from? How can they do this? Like, mm -hmm. what the fuck? And like also like Alabaster like drops a line at one point where like we're like because like Cyanite's like yeah what if my kid just can't like that'll be better and he's like no then they'll become a guardian and I'm like what are they connected what's happening yeah oh so many questions this book like literally just like gives you a really compelling story makes you want to cry and then leaves you with three billion questions and I just was vibrating. I think I record finished the second book because I was just vibrating too hard and I needed to know. I will say just because we're talking about the guardians, I don't know if you guys got this as much, but the guardian that discovered uh, cyanite and, oh my gosh, not, at uh, Tonky, we're just going to call her Tonky when she was a kid. I Because I remember Tonky and I can't remember the kids. Names. The guardian that discovered them was absolutely Alabaster's guardian and Alabaster had taken control of her somehow. Oh. At least that's the, that's the picture I got. Someone had control of her and like it was like uh, all of Alabaster and they kept asking like what did Alabaster do to his guardian I, I could be wrong Nami don't like you can shake your head but don't say don't say any spoilers but that was well, my I take on it I didn't get those vibes I I thought something else was going on there I was just like I don't know what's happening but like something's like there I thought it had something to do with the hole I was like I don't know what this hole is but it just took control of this lady I'm pretty sure uh, that that was Alabaster's guardian though I uh, could be wrong yeah, interesting yeah I just assumed it was stone eaters taking her over somehow that could be oh, that could also be. also i don't want to i don't want to get spoiled so be careful not sorry i don't know anything so i I've, i know no i know i, just, I know i no, finished I the book that's... less than 30 minutes ago so. <laughs> <laughs> this cannot be a spoiler because i know exactly what conversations happen later i made sure to check that but alabaster definitely says something about like leaving her somewhere and doing something to her but not that she was dead by his okay. That was the vibes that I got. And like, I'm pretty sure that's also what the guardian who confronts them says, cause I'm pretty sure that was not, Al cause like Alabaster mentions his guardian by name later. And it's like, yeah, she's like, whatever. And like, it's, he, he refers to her like she's alive. I refuse to Google like his guardian's name. I could have sworn they were the same, but maybe they were just similar. And that was like, you know, me like just, 
being dumb. I, I read this very, I read this very quickly. So, because <laughs> uh, once, like, like Jonathan said, like it was a little bit slow at first, but like once it got going, I was like, nope, can't put it down. The 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 like the morning is really the grief is really difficult to get through. Uh, it, yeah, yeah, the, it the is. beginning it really is. Is, is tough at times. Um, anyway, uh, so that that was my random aside about guardians, and maybe it's nothing, and I'm wrong, but that was kind of like the conclusion or assumption that I made based on how I perceive things. But or whatever, it doesn't really matter. It was just an interesting, you know, thought. It's uh, a very interesting thought. Um, and maybe we'll find out more in the later books. Like I, I am about a quarter of the way through the second book. Uh, I, I made myself finish my Lord of the Rings reread before I picked up the second <laughs> one, but, um, but anyway, so, uh, so I, I, I mean, anything else about guardians? Like they, they, like, well, we don't wait, get, sorry, sorry. Um, so Idiki, who's the, what, who's the guardian who like finds them in Alia, Alia mentions Alabaster's old guardian, whose name is Lachette and says that okay. they have found her and they need to talk about what Alabaster did to her. Okay. So, Okay, yeah. so it's probably not her because Shafa no, straight murdered the other guardian. Yeah, it's, it's that's a different name. Because there was like, because there was some sort of mystery about what Alabaster did to her. Yeah. Gotcha. Cool. And that was the other impression that I got. I got the impression that Alabaster's um, messing with his guardian was like, current time because he doesn't currently have a guardian with him therefore they think his current guardian is still doing their job if that makes sense that's why yes. low-key tara even though as much as i like that theory it like hadn't even jumped into my head because it was like alabaster is probably too young at this point to like properly be fucking around but also who knows maybe he's already fucking around you can you can cause ruckus at whatever oh i mean he's had 12 children I feel like he has been a Men can do but that. That could be in one year. Uh, not with the way he has sex. <laughs> <laughs> Poor guy. Poor guy. Not, not the way that he has sex with women. I was going to say, there that you go. is clearly, like, not into women. <laughs> Wait. And, I, I, again, Sexually. like, but that that's that's kind of like unless this world is something I don't know that we that I have to read and men can have children <laughs> like no, no, no. that's that's fan fiction only <laughs> oh god yeah let's not talk about Emma. no that's the Orville <laughs> oh yeah that oh gosh what is that race in the Orville god I love that show anyway anyway <laughs> right aside um Okay, so yeah, no, the guardians are just like uh, I don't like any of any of anything about them, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. I, like, and then it's like you know we've also the stone eaters are also insanely creepy. Uh, so yeah, we don't know shit about them. <laughs> no, just, well, they eat stone, and they and they burrow like hordas. So, and apparently my, they eat themselves. Like my literal like first book like. End impression was just what are the stone eaters? What are you? It, it was literally the darkling in the show to Alina. What are you? That that, <laughs> that, was, that was just yep. me at stone eaters. Yep. Nope. That's that's legit. I do like I the th one of the things I love about this book is the world building and the way that yeah. it draws you in but doesn't give you all the answers. 
I think that's oh, really cool. real. We get like pretty much none. Like, yeah, no, we, no, that's legit. Like it teases you at least in the first book, right? Like it teases you with all this stuff and it gives you little pieces. Like the, the fact that the node maintainers are these children and not reveal. So it definitely gives you, which also was like super fucked up and creepy. Uh, so it gives you some information about how specifically the regime, uh, how they their society functions, but how like the world works, we don't get a lot of information about, which is I think great because it gives you so many little like juicy things to tease out and be like, oh my god, what? Now they're talking about moons? Like, what the hell? I think the other thing that I really like that, like, isn't obvious within the book itself, but this is, like, information that the author had, like, shared on her blog after the first book came out. So, also not spoiler. Guys, I'm being very careful. Um, Dang, you so, did your homework, Nami. <laughs> I, like, I really loved these books, and I mm -hmm. know that spoilers ruin enjoyment for people so i like <laughs> try to be hyper vigilant to make sure that i don't intentionally do that to anybody because while i will like you know nitpick into facts to disprove crackpot theories that i know <laughs> something, i will also not do that if it's like if i'm like very certain that the hint is dropped in the next book because i don't want to like mess with things so like one thing that i didn't fully catch on while reading the book is that the like Sanzed race that they talk about is actually a race that NK Jemison invented for the story. So they are like not based in any real race that you see at all. So whenever they describe ash blow hair, it's not like a fancy word for a fro because that's like what I was thinking at first when I was reading it. But instead it's like basically like the way that it's described is like super thick, like like kind of like rug like hair that is to like filter bad air in a season like type of deal mm. and like sansas themselves as a race are like very big like six to seven feet tall like very strong and hardy and that the entire world is sort of revolved around like this group of people is like the best suited to survive in seasons so if you have a bit of that blood you are more like fit to survive so like it also the main reason i went down that rabbit hole when i was reading the book was because i was like what is ash blow hair like what does that mean that doesn't mean anything <laughs> so i just went down like a ghoul like die because mm -hmm. i think well and they do describe i don't know oh well yeah, i guess no, it depends if you, if you listened if you listened to the book you might not have gotten this but there is like appendices at the back of the book mm -hmm. that describe a lot of the terms um and one of them is that they like describe the Asheville hair I mean I I got the you know just that it was gray uh yeah. colored because that's you know that's it's described enough that that's for sure the case um but I mean the the, the I mean they also she also talks about the epicanthic folds in there in a lot of the races eyes too i can't remember if the sons of people have them i don't think they do but she mentions that in uh in this book several times i mean none of these people except um, for maybe like the no, arctic so, people are like white yeah so actually um in that like portion that jemison writes about this story um some of like the people in the extreme north or the extreme south i can't remember which are white the east like the coast is black 
and the West like coast is East Asian. And the people quote in the middle, so the mid ladders as Nasan is, they're all mixed. So that was like the vibes as I figured them out. Because at one point, like they mentioned iFolds and I'm like, where are my fantasy Asians? <laughs> <laughs> and I just sort of, you know, that energy where I just like, like my, my, my ears went up and I was like, hello? <laughs> But yeah, yeah so I mean, the, 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 the good thing is, like, the cast itself, the cast of characters itself, like, they're, the main ones are all POC, right? Like, none of, I, there's a few mentioned that are, like, I mean, except for maybe, like, uh, like obviously, Hoa, that doesn't count because he's a stone eater, but, like, I, I can't remember what Shafa is described um, at Sinkhole. What I understood was Bill Sanzet, so he was very big and buff, but he has white, or he has black straight hair. So I was getting, like, kind of, like, East Asian vibes from the hair, but not sure. It's never fully clarified, but he's not Sanzet, but he's very pale. Wasn't Tonki or with her, with her real name, I guess, Pinoff. Wasn't she described as very p- p- light skinned? She might have been. I definitely missed that. I do remember though the like semi horrific scene of like Ethan describing just Tonky washing herself and just and bathing, yeah, of dirt just evaporating off of her and being like, "Oh wow, she looks like a real person now." Okay, that was terrifying. Oh, she did this on purpose. Cool. I mean, the most important thing about Tonky is that uh, she is trans. Like, I mean, I would argue that that's not important at all. Like, 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 well, just no, 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 no. In terms of like, if we're talking about like representation, oh yeah, yeah, like, like, not, not, not like this is character. It has zero importance to her character, but in in terms of like representation in the book, uh, that you know, she, she, well, I mean, as uh, I. Gosh, at the time, Demea, um, I, you know, she she says like that she is that Benoff is a, a girl, um, and then later it's very clear that she uh, is 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 trans. I mean, she's taking she's taking wow. something to like stop her hair, or, like her facial hair, from growing and stuff. She runs out of the stuff that she's that she's yeah. you know her hormones mm-hmm. essentially. That, that became uh, I that became true later. I actually. T- at first, I just assumed she was a hermaphrodite. Oh, I mean, yeah, I, I, I when, think when they when, said that, you know, that they saw the penis, I just assumed, oh, she's a hermaphrodite. Yeah, I mean, either way, it does. I, like, it doesn't matter for her character. It's just really good to read a book with just this sort of like, there's this character and she is trans, and that is like, that's it. Like, that's it. It, it, it has no bearing on Essen's thoughts of her. It has no bearing, uh, literally, on I think any other characters' thoughts of her. Although yeah. the other ones probably don't know, I but actually, say that like it does impact her family life and kind of like her story up until now. Yeah. So like she does talk about how like her parents were like kind of like, oh, you're too weird, girl. Like you're really weird, and it seemed like it was kind of like a double whammy of her being like, I want to study despite being of like leadership a leader and yeah. i was trans so it was like these two together are too much pick one girl like you can have one and she was like i want both 
Can, can, can we talk about the damning indictment of the concept of leadership that it's bad that leaders study and learn things? Right? That was amazing. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even pick it up that explicitly until the moment you said it out loud. And then I was like, oh shit. Yeah, they did say that, didn't they? <laughs> they did straight up scream that. But I am no, entirely certain that they do study and learn politics. Well, in yeah, their yeah. base yeah. in their most yeah. basic form, you know, but that's basically like manipulation. One, yeah, <laughs> that's basically like the way that the majority of the politicians in this country how to bribe a now, now behave. Yes, or the, well, we're raised. I mean, we're raised like our our country. Like we act like this is some sort of like anybody can can be you know a politician. But if you look at the presidents that we've had and the families that they've come from, the Kennedys, the Bushes, they were all old school families. Like, like, I mean, not all, but you know what I mean? Like, like the vast majority of our presidents especially have been, and, and a ton of our senators and even house members have been, you know, they, they are from old school hey, watch political yourself. families. I'm consistently related to Kamala Harris now. I'm, a, I'm an old school political family now. You never know. Uh, I mean, I, I, we, well, please, I guarantee we, I am at we, least. We've had our share. I, I certainly wouldn't say it's a majority of, of them. Yeah, they're all old and white. The president. Well, that, that's, the, that's a different issue. Yeah, and mostly come from rich backgrounds. Might as well all come from the same old white family for all like for all the difference that matters to me. Look, all white people look the same. Yeah, <laughs> especially uh, old uh, white men. But, <laughs> you know, it's, I, I would, days, I would even know? argue they, they didn't all come from rich backgrounds. Many have. I didn't say all. I oh, said yeah. Many. Yeah. 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 Also, well, I, and, and I'm, I'm more specifically talking about like our presidents, honestly. But um, even that, I mean, we've had a lot of poor presidents. Uh, not in the past, like. Nick, was Nick, Nick, Nixon was not wealthy. Carter was not particularly wealthy. Well, Truman was poor. That's why they started a presidential uh, pension because he was so poor. Uh, there wasn't one before him. Um, you know, a, I mean, like, Eisenhower like, wasn't a rich man. Regardless, I mean, there's like a there's like a you know there's still like a theme of like the leadership cased, I guess is what we would call yeah. it here being, you know, they're, they're like, like, again, like you said, Jonathan, they're, they're not encouraged to learn outside learn. of the very basic, like, like leadership, which is generally going to be like manipulation in politics, sure. uh, you well, know, like and, and my ex president, please just let me paint Bush jr. <laughs> that man literally just wanted to paint. <laughs> if I only say, that is all he had done. And then yeah. I wouldn't hate him. <laughs> I will say that his painting doesn't make him a good person. What no. was what was the leader of Torimo? I don't remember his name, but like Rass. Rass. he yeah, like like I think like he actually was he actually he, was pretty cool. But he also like, wasn't leadership cast. Right. He was like because they specifically it. say that uh in villages like Torimo that are that small, they don't have leadership. They have people who take on those roles because they have to, but they don't have anybody who is actually like born bred. Yeah. yeah, it's not worth it's not worth it for a leader to slum it at those small towns. Yeah, they they want it like the bigger places. And like, um, also that brings me to like the whole discussion of like the different like kind of like societal system. order casts mm -hmm. like 
in this world and like the way that like naming themselves work and how all the guardians are from a place that doesn't exist which is <laughs> of course they are rude of them um and everybody else your name is your first name your cast and then the town you're from so yep. eason is eason origin Teremo. yep well she's technically eason resistance yeah, yeah. Which I find incredibly funny because it kind of makes a whole bunch of these people sound like they're part of some weird rebel alliance. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, yeah, good for you. And then I'm like, wait, no, that's not what that means. That's what that's no. what all. It just means you're good at you're good at not getting sick. Oh dear, that's your entire job description. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, the the, the survival the, is a job description. I in this, I mean, in this world, I we like like I I don't I like. Uh, gosh, I don't know whether to go back to the world building because there's still so much to say. I think about I, the case system. Like, uh, I feel like everything we could say about the caste system would be unkind and tied in the normal politics of why the fuck is there a caste system? So we can probably yeah. get at that. Yeah. <laughs> I, but it is, it, it is definitely really interesting how, you know, a, a child doesn't necessarily take on their parents you know, job or whatever, you know what I mean? Like, like, uh, they they probably will, but they don't necessarily have to. But the fact that there's, I mean, how many of them are there? There's not that many. There's leadership, resistant, strong back. Uh, definitely more. I cannot remember all of them. I want to say there, they said there were like seven, but only like five of them are still commonly used. It's really not that many. Um, there's one that also refers to some are like subsets. Yeah. So there's like the lorists who like also. Oh yeah, lorists. That's one. Yeah. Keep like well, and then and then there's the, the the people who study, and I can't remember what that one's called. That's like geomasts. Geomasts, yeah. But is that I, well? I guess it doesn't. It doesn't much yeah, matter because like, like also like different use casts from what I understood. So the main use casts are strongbacks, resistance, breeders, innovators, breeders and leadership. Leaders. Innovators. Yeah, so the breeders is so yeah, actually a really them. interesting one. So that's the one that like NK Jemison was like talking about specifically in terms of like Sanzed people. So like the mm -hmm. reason breeders exist is to make sure that Sanzed blood still continues and people have Sanzed attributes during seasons. So that was like a really like interesting aside because I remember them mentioning breeders like in the first book, just like in passing and being like, the fuck? Yeah, because it's it's weird because they you, you you hear the word breeder and you assume that all they're meant to do is have children and I know that's part of it, but uh I don't shoot, I don't wanna yeah, I don't wanna conflate what I read in the first part of the second book with with anything that happened in the first book. So I, I think there might be a like a little bit more information given in the first like quarter of the of the second book than there is in the first book. But there it's it's very much like passed over. Like we know that Essen and Hoa meet some people that they're fairly sure are breeders on their travels um and that they've all banded together. Uh, um, I would like to clarify that those people are specifically described as Sanzed, not breeders. So they okay. specifically are described as people with very strong Sanzed features who could be breeders, but are okay, that's what it all is. from the closest equatorial regions that could have survived. Gosh, the, yeah, the, 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 uh, it's, 
just reading one book and I, I hate this because like, I, I was like, Oh, I will finish all three of these so quickly, but like, mm -hmm. I just have not had time. And I, of course I don't want to spoil anything, but I think some of the basic, like, like little like world building things that wouldn't necessarily be like spoilers, mm -hmm. like knowing more about the, the case and everything like that is, is, uh, you know, would be helpful. Um, but I mean, th that kind of like, it brings us back to like the, the, world building a little bit where because the comms the little comms the towns they don't have those they don't have breeders or if they do there's they're not like mentioned they i i they don't the i didn't think so absolutely do not so the comms are basically like mid-ladder land is sort of regarded as like you live there if you're poor and they don't give you the leaders if you're poor they don't give you the resources if you're poor they don't give you the breeders with the good blood if you're poor basically which is funny because then we see like alia which is not a poor town by any means because it's a port town haha -ha. and mm -hmm. but at the same time it is like you know, we constantly get that, but they're on the coast. Like yeah. one tsunami, one one big shake, one tsunami, they're gone. These these towns don't last that long. These comms don't last that long. Um, you know, and it, that like brings us to another really interesting part of the world building, which is like the planet itself, essentially, and how they keep calling it Father Earth, and like how like the Earth itself is an actual character because of like the earthquakes and like the like climate itself and the fifth seasons itself and all the of the curses, like, the curses are mm -hmm. like, yeah, it's like, it's crazy. Cause like, you know, before this, I hadn't read any sort of book that could be described as like a climate change sci-fi, which is what this definitely is. Um, I think somebody um, on like another podcast I listened to like calls them cli-fi books. And ah. I think that's really clever. Um, <laughs> but, like Just like the idea that a world is so built around like the earth and how the earth moves and how the earth reacts. And like, while at the same time, they are still very much like taking advantage of the land that they live on and like, you know, harvesting it to live. They're also like very weirdly respectful of the earth and very like attuned to like how it moves and like attuned to like what happens when the earth shakes and causes tsunamis and like what is a safe place to live based off of plate tectonics. And like that was absolutely fascinating to me as somebody who literally could not understand why towns were even built along the San Andreas Fault because I was like, why would you put it there? It shakes. I've still wondered that myself, so. <laughs> like the ground shakes, moves li literally live anywhere else. And why? And why is New Orleans there when it's below sea level? I mean, it's like I just because it know. was a port. Because it was a port town hundreds of years ago, and the, it grew and grew and grew. And you can't just move all that shipping and all those people. I mean, it's the mouth of the Mississippi River. You know, like I, I get it. I totally understand what you're saying. A town shouldn't rely on levees to exist. Um, I mean, let's well, we have a whole it. country that re relies on levees to exist. Mo most, of, most, yeah, mo most of Florida is also below sea level. Um, yeah, or, or like right at it. Like, I, I, I mean, but that's the thing. Like when when you when you first populate what is let's you know quote unquote empty because it wasn't empty you know let's not talk about the native americans that we murdered but um yeah. you know uh when we when you first populate 
empty quote unquote land, you're you're gonna especially back then before there were trains and cars and of course like planes, but like God, even before there was like trains, even it was you you go where the shipping lanes are, and that unfortunately that uh you know that has persisted despite the ability to travel elsewhere. And it, it, especially in this country, it has persisted even worse because like, as soon as we had cars, it was like, ah, we don't need public transportation. We can all own cars. And, you know, we've just kind of ruined everything in that aspect, you know, too. So, yeah. uh, <laughs> but awkward. I mean, the, the yeah, awkward. but yeah, I, that, that was actually one of the questions that, um, and again, like, Nami, because you finished the series, please be careful. Because uh, I don't, I don't know for sure. But um, the uh, the fact that we get the uh, we get these hints of like advanced technology that still lingers, and the the story of Father Earth talks about environmental pollution and fracking uh, in in like sort of not not the terms we know, but it does like that's what it's referring to. Um, you know, this is this is a question I found, but I'm pretty sure the answer is like, yeah, I think so. Do you think it's possible, <laughs> Lowell, that the stillness is a post-apocalyptic version of our own world? Um, and and I mean, my my take on this from pretty maybe not immediately in the book, but pretty soon into it was that this was this was a post-apocalyptic Earth. Like, yeah, I, I, assume, I assume that. Yeah, that assumption as well. And like at the end, Alabaster's like, "What about the moon, bitch?" And I'm like, "It's Earth." Wait, why yep. is our moon gone? Yep. <laughs> and, and as soon as I, I immediately was like, "Wait, there's no moon." Well, as soon as, as, soon as I uh, heard that, I, I immediately thought of, even though the moon wasn't gone, and it, Thundar the Barbarian, where the moon was like chopped in two. Also, yeah, there's been the there's been other there's or been Dragon other Ball Z. There's been other sci-fi stuff, and I, I'm I'm blanking. Well, on what Space it was. 1999, the the moon somehow uh, was able but to I go mean, faster and, than and, the speed of light and travel across the universe. But that doesn't explain how like origins exist. But yeah, because what they can do is not that's absolutely a fantasy. I think aspect yeah. of these books, but for sure. Uh, and maybe there will be some sort of more like weird explanation of how it happened, but like, yeah, for sure. I mean, they still use not just the the term Earth because that's like just ground, you know what I mean? But the the fact that they use that and they use also they call it Father Earth and not Mother Earth, which is interesting. Yeah, that, was yeah, that was super interesting, interesting to me. Um, yeah. but, okay. but, At some point, the patriarchy took over that too. Damn. <laughs> Um, one fun fact, by the way, um, the like way this story um, like sort of took place for NK or like birthed itself in NK Jemison's mind was I saw this. Yes, it was like part of like a kind of like moon related astronomy related writers retreat type of. It thing. was like a NASA. It was a NASA thing. They invited yeah. sci-fi authors and and like influencers to yeah. go to like a, a retreat yeah so like reading that i was like super excited after finishing this book because i was like the moon space what's gonna happen i also just love that that even exists 
like that a thing like that exists that nasa was like you influence the way people think about space and we want to talk to you like that is that is just such a beautiful that these are these are literally just they're creators they're not scientists and nasa did that like that is a beautiful thing to me Yeah, it was amazing. And like a part of me was like, I don't know if NASA still does this, but like low-key bucket list. Like if I ever become right, full, same. let same. me in. NASA, please let me in. I will I will literally, literally do everything. <laughs> I would like to be an astronaut, but I acknowledge that I am not physically fit, nor am I able to do anything without the astronaut suit on. So therefore astro- astronaut like is like probably not a great career choice for me, but I can be a creative person writing about moon. Please let me write about moon. <laughs> I, write, I write moon now? I write moon now. <laughs> All right, there it is. Second season look, second season uh, saying. First one was we love growth in this house. Season two is I write moon now. <laughs> <laughs> Watch the moon's going to matter for Temeraire too. I count on it. But yeah, oh my God. I, I also think that reveal was like so fun because like we also like read it with the assumption like of course there's a moon and it's not until they're like have you heard of the moon that you're like wait a world can exist without the moon and then your brain starts to go what about tides and then or at least that's what my brain did. Well until until well, they never the- mentioned tides in this entire book. No. Right? Exactly. Um when they kept talking about the obelisks and then they also kept mentioning like dead sieve things that still existed. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, at first I thought the obelisks were just satellites somehow yeah. until like we got that whole thing where there's like a stone eater or whatever in the obelisk. Like yeah, there's a, like, this is, this, this might be a post-apocalyptic earth, but I don't think any sort of apocalypse could create, inhuman beings who eat stone and can talk without moving their mouth. So there's absolutely a fantasy ass or fantasy, fantasy sci-fi, mm-hmm. sci-fi combo. Ass. They, could, they could be aliens, right? I mean, they could have come to earth after the apocalypse. That's true. Or, they, or for that matter, they could have caused the apocalypse. I'm going to go ahead and guess I, that we caused this apocalypse. I, I would too, but I mean, theoretically, <laughs> there's uh, options. If it's yeah. environmentally based, we definitely did it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> big, big mood. Um, oh gosh, yeah. There's just like, uh, I, 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 okay. So, so, um, there's so many other things. Like we already talked about the use of the second person narration. We talked about the twist where S and Demea and Cyanite are the same person. Um, the the okay one thing that i did want to talk about was the fact that the culture of the stillness is structured around the concept that you know they need to ensure that civilization survives at the season but like they keep getting caught unprepared because they think it'll never happen in their lifetime and and also on top of that like uh and and there's some like parallels to like real life and modern day in there. But also if, if you read the appendices at the end of the book, they describe, or if you listen to them, whatever, uh, they describe the different seasons that they've had. And a lot of the seasons actually aren't like fully apocalyptic. Mm-hmm. Um, they're like, they affect, apocalyptic. yeah, they, they, yeah. They're, they're regional or they're uh, like, they, there were a couple mentions that were like they affected everybody, but it was like actually very minimal. So it's like when I first started reading this book and 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 they 
you know, and Essen is is saying this is a season and it's going to be so bad. I'm thinking, okay, so all seasons are like this, but then they mention these other seasons and, and you get to the end of the book and, and you read about the different seasons that there were. And you're like, okay, well, wait, like none of these are really that they're not civilization ending at, by any means. They are, uh, they, they change, sorry, they, they change the world as they know it. <laughs> puppy interruption but yeah no no I know what you mean like the way that they describe seasons before they're always like it's a natural disaster but it's a natural disaster that is always survivable previously mm -hmm. it's looked like and like it makes sense though because like from an extinction extinction standpoint like humans would not have survived if every single one of these seasons was as bad as this season which is why when like Eason really starts talking about like she's like this is gonna be the worst this is gonna be the worst I was like okay, so this isn't normal, but then what is normal? Which is why I really like that appendix, uh, appendix, appendix, not appendices. Oh, God. <laughs> appendicitis? Appendicitis, that's why I really like appendicitis because- I'm calling it appendices only because there's like the part things. with all the terms and then yeah. there's the part so with the- The one that specifically describes the seasons, I thought that was like really interesting as well because it was like kind of written in like the form of like what the lorists are telling people. And I thought yeah. it was very interesting that they have what is clearly like a very like good, history keeping in terms of seasons but like not really in terms of anything else and i found that really like fascinating and like just like very cool also that like literally they have seasons going back like thousands of years and they're like yeah bitch we know all the details and i'm like what well but they don't though because um and this is i wanted to look i wanted to pull my book out just so to make sure i was right about this but like uh, the seasons prior to the founding of Sansa, it like they're it's like contradictory or unconfirmed. Um, mm -hmm. So like they agree that these existed, these other seasons existed, but they don't really know the whole story of what happened. Um, you know, and and like even the fact that they like knew that they existed, I I still thought that was like so much information comparatively, like because like. I correct me if I'm wrong, but like the scope of their history that they mentioned, like the actual time period it covers, like in terms of seasons they know and or know that they exist but don't know the details, like it's a lot of time, isn't it? Uh, yeah, yeah, it's I, I want like thousands of years. Yeah. I mean, also, I love that one of them is called heavy metal season. <laughs> <laughs> and I know oh, like why yeah. yeah like because it's it was but this is one of the ones where it's like you know there's a volcanic eruption and it caused like atmospheric things and uh there was like widespread mercury contamin contamination but only through like the eastern half of the continent so it, it it's very like th there's there's there just seems to be in these in these in the previous seasons there was always this theme of it affects you know sometimes just a small portion and sometimes half or more but like they all they don't last so long that the comms who have been you know doing their due diligence can't survive and this is you know this one this one that um the alabaster has caused which whoa like what the hell did he do how did he do it Ugh. but like this one that alabaster has caused is i mean essen is saying this is gonna last forever like nobody is going to is going to survive this in the current state 
so something needs to be done. Something needs to happen. And I feel like I, I, I and again, like it's, it's like, I don't want to be spoiled with this. So like, but I feel like clearly there's got to be some, like what she's doing, what he asks her to do with, you know, like, or what he, what he's asking her about, like the, 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 the moon and everything. Like clearly there is something that he thinks she might be able to accomplish. And I, even though he said he wanted the whole world to end like that, like, I, I don't know that. I don't know. I think that that was maybe just like a something he said out of like anger and he's hoping that there's a way for them to survive. I, I, I don't know. Like, what do you guys think about that? Do you think that, that Alabaster's, you know, him, him. So like in my head, like when you said, I want this world to end, I took it like he wants this current world order to end, not that Mm. he wants people to end. So like, okay. Okay. You know? So like, that was like very different to me. Like there's, there's like definitely a difference between being like a nihilist and being a destroy everything because it's broken and then start. I guess, I guess my, like the only reason, the only reason I had that take on it was that he didn't know for sure like that that she was even alive right mm. Did he? like and then he also yeah, I didn't don't know. know for sure that she would be able to do whatever he needs her to do so he took a really big fucking chance just saying uh okay so the world sucks so yolo hopefully <laughs> my ex is alive um winging it winging it I'm sick of this stuff. Killing my kids. Alabaster. Also, like, Alabaster summary. Jesus, that was depressing. It's like you knew you knew Oof. that their time on the island, Mayov, Miov, had to end. Like you knew, yeah. I guess, that it wasn't going to last. But like their whole their whole little family. I love their little polyamorous. Yeah, family. they're they're like so totally wonderful. healthy, good polyamorous family with a kid who was happy yeah. and loved all of them. It was like, oh, this is so, just, so sweet. I loved like, it. Just like also like the dimension of Alabaster's character in terms of like sexuality and like romantic identity, and that like he's mm-hmm. probably romantic, but like um like homosexual like i thought that was like really interesting because like he still like the way that i read it was that he still like loved cyanide but like in a very different way because like he's also Mm -hmm. like very like dependent on her and like caring about her and like he gives her like the two extra rings because he's like you're actually like a six ringer in power and it was just oh my god it literally broke my heart and like the scenes where he's like playing with koru and like taking care of him it was literally all i could think at the end of the book was that does Alabaster think Koru is still alive? Like he has to know, right? No, he knows. No, 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 he Koru, knows. Yeah, he she, she says, yeah. Oh, okay, they do have that talk right away. Okay, yeah. because there was like a second when like she realized that she was meeting Alabaster where I was like, I have to put this down. Does he know that Koru is dead? Yeah, no, no, no. He, he, he's like one of the first things he says to her is that he, no, he, I think he says he doesn't blame her. For what None. she did, he says, "I understand. I can never forgive." Okay, that yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so um, exactly. But I mean, let's be real. There was no way she, she didn't want or expect to survive that. Um, and she knew that if they took her child, because he, because of what he was, who he was, who who you know, who his father was, who she was, she knew he was going to end up in one of those nodes. And I, I just like. 
I, I don't want to talk too much about this, but I do want to touch on the fact that like there's awful thing like what they're doing to those children is awful, period. But the fact that they also wake them up so that they can be like sexually abused, sexually abused yeah. is just absolutely just disgusting beyond belief. Like and they know they know this is happening. Like that that is there is some dark ass shit in this book, you know, the the, yep. the children dying and everything, but that is like it's like the darkest of dark that these that these children who quote unquote can't control themselves live in this state of of constant, you know, as far as I can They're tell vegetables. pain. Are they vegetables? Because I was under the assumption that they can feel what's going on still. Oh no, 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 no. So they are physically vegetables in terms of like being able to move and stuff. What I understood is that they are in pain constantly. Yes, exactly. The only thing they're able to do is respond like instinctually to the earth. And then because of all the pain they're in, they're constantly sedated until. I mean, and honestly, if you're going to talk about a reveal that shocked me, that was the thing that shocked me. Like, I think like the moment where like Alabaster is like, you haven't been to a node and like his judgment of her there was like a like initially when i was reading this i was like in cyanide shoes and i was like why does he care so much like he's overreacting like who cares like they're just doing their jobs and then like the horrific reveal of what's happening with like the secondary layer that like you know that all of alabaster's kids are either doing this or dead and it's just (sighs) well and then i guess that well because like that also begs the question, the 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 little the the girl that orchestrated the bullying, like that's what happened to her. Correct. Right? Uh yeah, like yeah. that's what we're supposed to believe happened to her, is what I'm well, guessing. What are we supposed to believe? That she became one of the Yeah. Like she couldn't control her powers. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's it's just and don't get me wrong, that whole thing with the bullying and and all of that, it was maddening Ugh. and sad. But wow, like I I, I guess I wasn't I, the one the one like plus I will give this book is that there's like the non consensual sex or, or the the the, the I'm gonna call it non the 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 forced like the sexual rape and sexual abuse. It, yeah, it, it, it's it's the forced sexual relations between Cyanite and Alabaster are like they're awful, oh, but it's true. like, yeah. but it's like okay, that's like there's that's like, like understandable nice aspects to it. Not it, 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 there's understandable aspects to it, not in that it happens, but like okay, they both have agreed to do this because they know what happens if they don't, sort of thing. Um, but like then you get to like the node things, and it, it, there's a lot like. This is by far the darkest thing, mm-hmm. the darkest book that we have covered. I oh mean, yeah, by oh, far, and it's it's it puts just such a different. I think like the node maintainers themselves just like get an entire warning. Like without yeah. the node maintainers, it's like a mm, very dark book that isn't like palatable to mm-hmm. both. And then you throw the node maintainers in there. And then it becomes way worse. And then you throw the people, basically the rich, being able to rape them 
and it gets it way worse. And then you throw in the specifically them being woken up for that, and it just it just keeps exponentially getting worse. Like, oh, I would I, I would argue that this is like one of the darkest things I've read since like Song of Ice and Fire. Like in a way, like it was, and it might even be darker. I objectively think it was darker for me personally because, like, in a way, like Song of Ice and Fire, like a lot of the dark stuff that happens is happening to adults or like people who are at least conscious and able to make decisions in some way, or and it's literally lobotomized children. Yeah, so it's like yeah, it's like Song of Ice and Fire was like always like dark but it was like fantasy dark in a way yeah. so like you know it this was just on a whole different level well and it's weird because like this is also like we know this is like a sci-fi fantasy sort of thing so i guess what what I, think, a, I don't even know if i want to explore it but there is something about it that makes it seem darker somehow i think the choices mm -hmm. that she made specifically in this book function to show the corruption of society and the way that people in charge abuse it in a way that is unquestionable. And by showing the people who have power and the people who are in charge in the society and showing them specifically using that power to manipulate and gaslight. So for example, Shafa and the Guardian specifically showing how they basically manipulate and gaslight an entire group of people with the origins, showing how this extends to like, you know, worldwide prejudice against the origins to the point where guardians literally are despite all the craziness that they're doing they're literally still saving these kids lives because otherwise their own communities will kill them out of fear like just like the different levels of horror that evokes and also in the fact that when these powers are awakening it's awakening in children so like the primary target of all of these yeah. horrible things are children so like not only does it make the problems with the society and the like prejudices of society and the brokenness and corruption of the leaders and their misuse of power even more obvious it makes it more viscerally hurtful and more difficult for a person to ignore because your main group of people that are getting affected by this are children and yeah that's that's literally it. It's like it's like find a way to write all of the problems that most societies have undercover, but pull them all to the forefront to make them be there right on top. Give us protagonists in every single stage of this brainwashing that they have endured by the society into believing themselves to be to to into believing that they require to be controlled by this society because of the gaslighting that you see actively happening to them as they're growing up. Like, it's but, just, you were so gonna I, say something? I, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to say, all that is true except for the sense that if you put yourself in the position of some random person in this society, a lot of this stuff isn't known, right? I mean, it's sort of like it's, it's what goes on in our society is, but see, that's cover up everything. And there you go. You hit the nail on the head. Yeah. That's why it's so upsetting. Because just because you don't know it's happening doesn't mean it's not happening. And that's not an excuse for being like unawares of it, you know? And the and and let's be real, all four of us, we know I know I know all of us know what is what happens in our society. And you know, I mean, again, 
that is why it is upsetting because yeah, and the saddest contrast in this book is that you look at these kids being abused and like these kids being targeted by their towns and thought of harmful and all i can think of is like little black kids getting shot by the police because they hold up a toy and they think it's a gun and the cop is like you're black so you're dangerous you know and like that's like an example of like a real world thing that like some of the imagery in this book can evoke and well like and the, the other children themselves are taught to just fear the origins because of what they can do you know and, and it, it's like they're, they like, they have no they they no. actually don't they actually don't know they don't know anything about what's going on they don't know they they, they know nothing all they are taught is that this is bad you know and and mm -hmm. the fact of the matter is it's not it's not like in 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 instances where there are origin children who who do lose their control i'm sure that bad things happen but that's you cannot it, it, that that's like saying every you know every child who is raised in a bad home and does bad things like every child who's raised in a bad home and does bad things will do is, bad is, things. It, yeah or yeah every child who's raised in a bad home will do bad will things. do bad things yeah and 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 i think that's kind of that's kind of the point of it all is they're they're taught that no matter what no matter what, even because even when they're taken away and trained, they all fear them. They all have this prejudice. I mean, we see that when Cyanide and Alabaster go to Alia. I, I, I mean, they I, fear adult origins because they think that they don't have power. So, like, what you can see is clearly some sort of government or at least guardian or at least leadership and guardian related. Like I don't even think it's, I, I don't think it's entirely that. I, I, I don't think it's entirely propaganda. I think it's also just the the this is what they have been taught to fear for you know in in, in yeah, but like uh, what I'm saying is like somebody teaches. Like yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. like it, you don't it, just like learn and avoid and like you learn from the society around you. And the reason your parents teach you things is because their parents taught them and what teaches you know, generations, generations are taught by society. Okay, but let's, let's put it into a, a context here of, of what under it's, I think it's actually more understandable of fearing the origins because put into a context, I think I would be fearful if I knew that a small segment of our population all had personal nuclear weapons that they could launch at any time. But like the origins don't. Yes, That's they do. They have the they they have the power that's the equivalent of a nuclear weapon at their disposal whenever they want it. But they I don't know about nuclear weapon. Yeah. I mean, they can destroy a city at will. That's pretty much. That's not the same as a nuclear weapon. Yes, yeah. it is. No, 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 it's not. It's it's literally not. Well, I mean, I guess it's well, like a I mean, it depends like on what era we're talking about. Hiroshima. I mean, the Hiroshima bombs didn't even destroy a single city. So okay, but. I understand that your point is that you would be fearful of a small set of our population having the ability to create mass destruction and death. But like yes. origins do not have the ability to create mass destruction and death. They don't, they're not all that strong. Like the Especially origins. Especially the ones that aren't trained, definitely. And aren't. like the ones that we see, the one that we see specifically Eason is like, regarded as a prodigy 
as like somebody who is incredibly strong. And the destruction quote that she causes is almost quote unquote icing a boy. So one life. So, and this is something who is quote unquote a prodigy. So like- Well, we do see her later cause the volcanic eruption that destroys the city. Oh yes, yes. But (laughs) But that was with the help of the obelisk. This is like with the help of the obelisk and like a lot of other factors and like with training. So like, you know, this isn't like the natural level of these people with this power. Like fear mongering has clearly happened in this society to the point that they don't even acknowledge that origins are literally saving their lives. And that's the problem that I have. Well, and and it happened because of that one story that that yeah. everybody is told the shimmo what was the shimo? yeah you know, uh, yeah yeah, yeah. And that's the reason that i'm like it is government propaganda it is literally propaganda designed mm-hmm. to make these people fear origins and to completely disregard the fact that normally these are the people that are calming the regular shakes and keeping everything normal for you and yeah. preventing fifth seasons that is the contrast that i'm talking about only fear no respect for the job that they're doing. Only yes. fear. And a lot of that is. But like, do they know? But do they know that that's the? Job? That's why I'm saying it's. That's propaganda. propaganda. Yeah. This, yeah. Is, this is what I keep coming back to: the propaganda. It's propaganda. It's propaganda. Yeah, because because they don't know the good that they do, exactly. and uh, you know, like the 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 leaders in Alia who meet with Cyanite and Alabaster. It's like. All we want is for you to clear our coral. And it's like, we know you, we need this and we know you can do this. And we paid a crap ton of money apparently to get you to do this. And like, it's, 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 it's not, it's not any sort of exact comparison with real society. It's not, it's not, but, but what it, what it is, is the propaganda that this entire people is bad and because only. be and only bad and only scary, you know, it, it, they don't because they don't even they they know what they can do, but even when they know what they can do, they're and and know that they're trained, they're still afraid of them, and it's it's just, uh, it, there there's 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 like almost like too much to unpack it's in like the. Obviously, it's not a direct parallel to life, but it is a fantasy parallel that exaggerates everything in a way to make it very obvious what the parallel is. And it's the parallel is propaganda against a specific group of people to make people think specifically that they are only bad. Actually, you know, even more than like the image of like, you know, a black child being killed for holding a toy because people are like be afraid of people of color i am more specifically now thinking of like the worldwide hatred for muslims because the the propaganda says all muslims are terrorists and like logical people know that's not true but like propaganda you know and like that's part of the reason why this book hurts so much because like everything that you see in extreme in it is happening in our world actively at some point and in certain parts of that world, that propaganda is being believed fully, which is sad and terrifying. And wow, I'm depressed now. <laughs> yeah, these books aren't happy. There's not there's, there's, depression. There's like that happy period where Cyanite and Ethan and Alabaster are in life. In there, and then it's like, that's it. That's it. That's yep. the only happy that we get. Uh 
I mean, we had another period of happy, which was in imagining the aesthetics of stone eaters and trying to figure out how I could possibly cosplay that. <laughs> I was like, what if I was a rock? Uh, but, okay, so we're closing in on like an hour and a half. So any last thoughts? Um, I, I, I just, yeah, I, 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 it took me a bit to get into this book, like maybe, I don't know, a quarter of it at most. I don't even think it was that much. But like once I got into it, I really couldn't put it down. And I do – I'm very, very intrigued about how this is all going to pan out. You know, I am um, very excited to say that you guys are going to have so many more questions. You're going to end up liking characters you never thought you would like or think about. And – you're also going to have so many more questions and I'm so excited for us to finish book two and you're going to be like, just fuck. <laughs> Only two weeks. Yeah. Yeah. We will be back on uh, Wednesday, July 7th with uh, book two, which is the obelisk gate. So any, uh, yeah. Any, any last thoughts before we close out for the night? Well, just hi, hi to all our listeners in Canada. I know, right? <laughs> Apparently, we are in the top like fifty lit podcasts in Canada. Well, <laughs> I think that yes. I think that had a lot to do with the Grishaverse. <laughs> Probably, yeah. Uh, but who knows? Right. Maybe then they decided to join us for Broken Earth. Yeah, yeah. I mean, or even Terror. Yeah, Terror yeah. could be. Say, um, trigger warnings for the second book do go down. Uh, thankfully, the most horrifying, which is what we see with the nodes, are is beyond us. Okay, so yeah. that's that's good. So that rest good. Easy because things do get better. Things that was that was absolutely better. the worst the worst trigger warning issue thing with but this no, I, book. So in truth, I had kind of forgotten about the extent of. I had remembered the lobotomized portion, but I had forgotten the details of the rest. And then I remembered the rest and I was like, oh yeah, let me go cry in a corner for a bit. Cool, 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 cool. When I was actually reading the book, I had to take a break then. It was just not. <laughs> Same. All right. All right. Well, on that note, once again, I'm Tara along with Nick, Jonathan and Nami. Thank you for joining us for Sagas and Sass. And we'll see you in two weeks when we cover The Obelisk Gate, which is book two of the Broken Earth Trilogy. Have a good night. Yeah, night, everybody. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Sagas and Sass podcast. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Sagas and Sass.